Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. It's the weekend betting preview special edition. I'll explain why in just a moment. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. What's going on, Colin? Knee-deep in uh, bowl prep? Yes, swimming through 40 bowl previews, but taking my head out just a little bit so that I can throw some money down on the governor's. The governors. Well, I, I believe you're referring to Austin <laughs> P. And yeah, the reason I said this is a special edition episode is because it's not your normal large Saturday slate. There's obviously only one FBS game uh, on Saturday, and that's Army Navy, which we will get to in depth. We also will cover the FCS, as you alluded to, with the governors. We will get to all four FCS quarterfinal betting previews. There's three games on Friday night, only one on Saturday, which is odd to me. Uh, especially with uh-huh. two at the same time on Friday night. And then that means, well, I think maybe Saturday night is Saturday night, the Heisman, which is all but wrapped up. We'll get into all of that. We'll also get into some updated thoughts on the college football playoff market and where those lines stand and what our thoughts are. Uh, we'll talk confidence pools. So we're going to be you know, diving into those. I know some of you out there are as well. So we'll talk who are top three uh, most confident picks are. It's not as, for me at least, it's not as easy as going with the biggest favorites, but we'll get to that. We'll also talk about maybe a total, a bowl total that we have on our radar. And for those that don't know, we're going to have a five-part bowl preview on this podcast. So we're actually going to have five episodes that cover the bowls chronologically. So, you know, we'll cover, you know, seven to eight bowls on an episode with, you know, for the bowls that are coming up over a four or five-day period, et cetera, et cetera, throughout. Um, and then we'll obviously have a, a episode designated for the college football playoff semifinals and then Colin and I will be in, in Las Vegas at the Westgate for the college football national championship speaking of the Westgate uh, we earlier caught up with uh, a friend of the podcast an old friend of the podcast John Murray my favorite book to watch a game at and uh, we'll be there for the national championship as I mentioned we caught up with him on just a number of topics you know we talked about Army Navy we talked even about some NFL stuff this weekend the college football playoff market his principles on um, setting lines and it's it's a really solid interview so let's get to John right now all right so now we're joined with a f- old friend uh, of the podcast John Murray from the Superbook and Westgate out in Las Vegas. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Always a pleasure to have you on. We'll start just very basic. Tell us about, you know, early money and, and subsequent line moves at your shop that you've seen in the two college football playoff semifinal games. You know, in the, in the 
semifinals, these playoff games, actually, there is public money. I mean, you're right. In general, only sharps usually bet early. But on events that are this high profile, like these two college football playoff semifinal games, the public's already weighing in on this game. these games. Everybody's on Clemson and everybody's on LSU. Not a big surprise there. Uh, we'll, we'll need the two dogs pretty big in these games. Do you envision yourself ever getting to a flat 14? And uh, will anyone besides sharps bet the under in either one of these games? Everybody's betting the under in the Peach Bowl here. Actually, we, we've been dealing it. At a, we were dealing at an intentionally high number. We actually like the over here. So, in the totals market, for the most part, at this point, it's only arbitrage players, guys just playing differences from our book to another book. But yep. in the side market, you're getting a lot of public action on on both of these games. Do I think we'll get the 14? That's a good question. It's something we've already talked about. I don't know. I'm going to say no. I, I don't. 14 just seems so high to me. I mean, our our power rating number on this game was more like LSU eight and a half or nine. I know the mm-hmm. number got very inflated because LSU demolished Georgia on Saturday in a game that all of us at the book loved Georgia in that game, by the way. That was a great call. Oklahoma Same. really <laughs> Oklahoma really struggled. I thought they were very lucky to beat Baylor. I think they've been lucky to win four or five games in the last six weeks or so. So Oklahoma kind of sputtering along. LSU looks unbeatable. This number is already, in my opinion, very inflated at 13. I don't think it'll get all the way to 14. You know, I like Oklahoma too at 13, 13 and a half, but I'm waiting to see if a 14 ever pops. So I imagine if you do ever get to 14, it'll get hit immediately uh, and come back down. Colin, do you want to ask a question about the uh, Ohio State Clemson game? Yeah, I was just going to I was going to follow up and say there have been a couple 14s that, that that showed in the market and those were scooped immediately it flashed in the New York minute. So, you know, in the number and I agree with John that I mean between the between the overtime game with Oklahoma and the Big 12 and what LSU did to Georgia, you know, Georgia left so many points on the table in the first half. I'm not really sure the books are going to stop taking money on LSU because not everybody has a power rating like the Westgate. Not everybody has a power rating like us. They could care less that we make this game eight and a half. And I just, you know, I I don't know if that number is ever going to come down for LSU unless some large money comes in on Oklahoma at some point. But Johnny, offering live betting, Stuck and I talk about this all the time. Why take an Oklahoma 13 pregame when this is like the semifinal last year where Kyler Murray got down by, you know, 21, 28 points and there was a live number of 21 to 28. And you know this Oklahoma offense, if they don't turn the ball over, they can cover any live number, like say over 17 or 21 points. Do you feel like that's probably the same situation which happens in this game again? I think that's a very good point. I know Alabama was up 21 to nothing at the end of the first quarter in the Orange Bowl last year. And we could see something like that here. Like if you're LSU and you get out to a really big lead, let's say you're up by three or four touchdowns, you've got to kind of take your foot off the gas. You've got a national championship game to then start preparing for, and mm-hmm. it could allow Oklahoma to get back into the game, score some late touchdowns, get inside that big number. But, yeah, you're probably right. You probably will be able to get more than 13 on the end game. It's just yeah. a dangerous game to play. What if Oklahoma goes down the field and scores a touchdown right away? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, if you, li- if you like Oklahoma, you should bet them before the game. But I do agree with your, your overall point. You probably, probably will be able to get something better at some point during the end game. We, we need some props on the board at the Westgate for how many turnovers Jalen Hurts is going to have and a bonus factor for how inside many turnovers he has in the red zone. Yeah, inside the red zone. <laughs> you, guys, you guys think that Jalen Hurts has had the most interesting career in college football history? I was talking to a buddy of mine about this. This guy started in the, the Iron Bowl, the Red River Shootout. He started in Bedlam. He won an SEC championship game, a Big 12 championship game. Now he's playing in the college football playoff for a different team. I mean, who's, who's played in more big games than Jalen If there's one guy that's not going to be afraid of the moment, you're right. It's, it's Hurts. Yeah. The only thing this guy is missing is a 3 a.m. Hawaii game. If we could get that on Jalen Hurts' <laughs> resume, we'd be good. Switching over to uh, the Fiesta Bowl, where I'm sure Ohio State is reminded every day that they were there three years ago and got blown out 31-0. to zero. Westgate is one of the only books that has Clemson minus two and a half. Does that just indicate that you guys need Ohio State money, or is it just a stance that you guys are taking saying, we like Clemson at this number a lot? Well, you know, we actually opened Ohio State a one-point favorite in this game because our, mm. you know, our power rating numbers, Ohio State's been the number one team in the country since like week two or three. I mean, it's been a long time. I know Clemson looked very good in the, in the ACC championship game, but I think people might be losing sight a little bit of how good Ohio State is. I mean, I know they struggled against Wisconsin, but they went through a Big Ten that's much better than the ACC, and they basically dominated every game they played. I I think people might be losing sight of that a little bit, but look, everybody's betting Clemson here, and we think there's a chance this game is going to close higher than this. That's Mm -hmm. why you see us at a little bit of a higher number. 
the, the key to this whole industry is not, I know everybody likes to talk about odds making and what the opening numbers are. That's not what's important. What's important is being at the closing number before everybody else. Getting to the right number, the closing number first, that's everything. That's the most important part of this game from our side of the counter. And we do think there's a chance this thing might close a little bit higher with everybody betting Clemson. you got to consider, too, think of how many LSU-Clemson parlays there's going to be that day. And if LSU covers the first game, everything's going to roll to Clemson in the second game. You just mentioned that game three years ago. Everybody bet Clemson in that game like crazy. We got killed on that game. And we're thinking that we might get similar action this year. The Clemson perception is just crazy to me that we've been, we've liked Clemson all year, just like Ohio State, but everyone went from, oh, Clemson, they haven't played anybody to then all of a sudden, all right, they're this good, they're beating Ohio State, when really they still haven't played anybody, but the, the perception flip just because of, uh, you know, a number of blowouts and covers has been crazy to me. It's like you kind of have to protect yourself on the money line too, because I know when I, once I land in Vegas and all my apps start working, which I, I love the Westgate, for those of you guys listening, Westgate is one of the few Vegas apps where whether you're in-state or not, you can check the odds from anywhere in the nation as long as mm-hmm. you have their app. So huge, huge shout out for Westgate for that. But uh, when I land in Vegas, the first thing I'm doing on spreads that are like one and two is I'll just start looking at money line because I don't want to mess with points. It doesn't matter what sport, if it's college basketball or if it's college football, if it's a one and a half or a one and I can find a really cheap, you know, minus 125 money line. You guys have to protect yourself on that with Clemson too, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that especially in the money line parlay markets, there's gonna be so many money line parlays that week of like all the favorites going to LSU and Clemson. Uh, we're going to need Ohio State pretty big in that game, I think. But, but we win a ton on Clemson in the future book. We've seen this coming pretty much the whole way. You guys just mentioned the Clemson schedule. You guys are absolutely right. I mean, we knew they were going to be in the college football playoff basically like in the summer. So we, we really wanted to make sure we were in a good position on them in the future book, and we've, we've structured it that way. So as, let's switch topics here. As somebody that's been running to the Westgate for the last 18 months and throwing as much money as I had spare on me, free money, to you guys, donating to you guys on Trevor Lawrence two years in a row for the Heisman. By the way, I'll be back for Trevor Lawrence next year, whatever you guys put him <laughs> up. Where do you, you guys had a 300 to one. When he took over for Kelly Bryant, it was a 300 to one. And I said, oh no, oh no, we're going to have to get some money down yeah. here just because of my love for this kid. Uh, let's see, where, where does the book fall on the decision for Joe Burrow to win the Heisman this weekend? Well, first of all, I think you're absolutely right about Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence is already better than about a dozen starting NFL quarterbacks, and it's a complete joke that he has to go back to Clemson next year when he would be he would be the first overall pick in the draft. I mean, I, I'm a longtime Redskins fan. I've said the best thing the Redskins can do is hire Hugh Jackson, go 0-16 next year, and then draft Lawrence with the first pick in 2021. <laughs> it's a better plan than anything they got going on, I'll tell you that much. Uh, no, to answer your question, we, we're, we're going to get absolutely killed on Joe Burrow, guys. Uh, we, you know, we had him at 200-1, to and we took 11 tickets at 200-1. to One guy's got 150 bucks to win 30000 Two other guys got 100 bucks each to win 20000 Mm. it's a pretty big loss for us. And then there are people betting him throughout the season, of course. And there's no hedge, too. It's not like they have to hedge because it's pretty much known that he's going to win. He should get every first-place vote. Like, how could you even vote for somebody else? Not only has he been playing so great, but Hurts and Fields and those guys, they really haven't been that great down the stretch. So it it, it shouldn't even be a question. He should get every first-place vote. I think I've seen some props up about, you know, how many votes exactly will he get? I would take the over on anything that's posted out there. Sure. Uh, and, and so this is, you know, it's a good question for how do you guys like when you have a 200 to one, is it based upon how much the ticket can actually win? When do you start dropping that number? Is it respected money? Is it the size of a ticket that would take a 200 to one? Like when you say you have 11 tickets on it, what, what was the trigger to maybe start dropping it and saying, okay, well, we've got, we got to think about what we've got here. It's all about the liability. We took a bunch of bets on Mitchell Trubisky to win the NFL MVP, which we <laughs> laughed at, but we still had to lower the number, guys, because you can't – look, our job here is to, is to protect the book. Ultimately, that's our number one responsibility is to protect the house. We can't allow this book to lose some astronomical amount of money. Man, None of us thought Joe Burrow was going to win the Heisman. Oh, that's why we opened it at 201. But yeah. there was a point where our liability got so big into the six-figure range we had a lower and we ended up going to 40 to one in July. And then obviously when the season started, we just had to keep lowering and lowering because the kid just kept playing so well. But I give credit to the people that bet him, of course, but I just, it wasn't a guy that was even on my radar as a Heisman Trophy winner back in, in the summer. Right. We're all going to have to pay attention to who hires a, a passing game coordinator from the NFL now. Switching over to the, there was a prop that just dominated the summer conversation, which, you know, I looked at the prop and I said, it's priced correctly. I'm not going to get involved with it. But what I do want to buy is Alabama to not make the playoff. 
So when I came to town, that's all I was looking for was Alabama to not make the playoff instead of the prop of Alabama and Clemson versus the field for the national championship. Alabama's out of it. Clemson is still the one running with that. But you have a lot of liability on people that came in and said, oh, yeah, Alabama, Clemson for the national title. Yeah, actually, we, we win a lot on the Alabama-Clemson side right now. We took a lot of field bets there in the summer. I mean, it looks like we took about – we took well into five figures on the field at plus 150 and plus 160. We took some big bets at like minus 180, minus 170, minus 160 on the Alabama-Clemson side. So really good two-way action there, but we actually win on Alabama-Clemson and lose on the field. So really not in a great position there with Alabama not getting into the playoff. But I thought it was a great prop, and, and we'll probably look to do something similar next year. Although I guess next I, year it's just going to be like all Clemson. I mean, Clemson's bringing like all these kids back, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. ACC, which uh, – I've never understood anybody taking minus 180 or bigger on a prop like this when there's going to be a money line on a national championship game. You know, it's like, why would you lock yeah. up that kind of money on minus 180? So I guess um, everybody at that time was thinking it was going to be Alabama Clemson in the championship game. That's fair. Uh, yeah, that's yeah fair. but but yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Uh, fun prop, though, and, and we'll, we'll revisit it next year. I mean, Alabama, I'm going to go out on a limb here, guys. They're probably going to be pretty competitive next season. So maybe we yeah. could just do Alabama Clemson again. No, they should uh, be pretty good. Um, you mentioned you mentioned this earlier that about your liability, and you guys will be winners on Clemson. Do you want to just run through quickly what happens if the other teams win, and are you a big loser if one or the other one of the other trios wins the national championship? Yeah, we're a big loser on Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a pretty big loss for us here. We're a small loser to LSU. We win a good number on Ohio State, and we really clean up on Clemson. Clemson is a, is the home run hit for us here. Oklahoma's a big loser, but I, it's hard to picture any team winning a combination of two games against two of those three other teams, talking about LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson. To string together two wins against those, those teams just doesn't seem possible to yep. me. Yeah, and especially beating LSU. If LSU makes the national championship game, they're going to be playing it down in New Orleans. That's going to be a tough mm-hmm. – that's going to be – I don't care what you say about home field and being neutral. That's not going to be a neutral site game, I would think. Um, oh, no. There was a robust uh, number for props for Clemson, Alabama last year when Stuck and I flew in for the national championship. This is why the Westgate is like the greatest book to ever watch a big time game. Is there going to be NFL style offerings on props this year for this year's national title game? Because I know last year I was cashing Trevor over two TDs, ETN props, uh, all kinds. We did of a contest. Was it was board. us and Cheetah. We did a, a contest with each other where you yeah. pick <laughs> ten favorite props for five hundred yeah. each, and then whoever comes out on top you know, take some of the pot. So it's, it's just, it creates so much fun in so many different ways. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have a huge prop menu for the national championship game. I mean, really, regardless of the matchup, you're going to have two high-powered teams, which is good for props. When you, when you do these prop numbers, you always want it to be like a crazy – we actually we don't want it to be a high-scoring game because then we get killed on the props because the public bets everything over. But ha- having these really high-powered offenses does make uh, doing prop numbers more fun and I think a little bit more interesting. And regardless of what the matchup is, we'll, we'll have a nice big menu of props again this year. That's why uh, that Super Bowl must have been so fun to watch for you guys last year. Well, you know what? It was, guys, but I told this story back in February. You know, we told all the, we told all the executives here, like, root for nothing to happen. That's great. That's great. But we would have got absolutely killed if there had been no touchdowns in the game. Because people bet like no right. touchdowns at a huge price, so eventually we were like, we got to a point where we were just rooting for anyone to find the end zone because <laughs> we were gonna we were gonna give away our entire day on this ridiculous no touchdowns problem. <laughs> so certainly that Super Bowl was great for us. The one the year before Philadelphia, not so good for us. Yeah, I guess you want like one touchdown, no safety, yeah. and low scoring. When you give the like the really the higher ups here a report and say like, here's what you should be rooting for. It never dawns on you to say, oh, by the way, root for someone to score a touchdown. <laughs> like that, that's never something you're thinking about before the game. Yeah, we really would do poorly if nobody scores a touchdown. That uh, never really thought, crossed my mind, honestly. That's funny. All right, well, switching gears into this weekend, uh, it's something more pertinent for betters out there. I'm always curious. I, this is a question I always ask uh, Odds Baker's books. I always say Army-Navy. It's an isolated game. You know, everyone likes to watch it. It's all the tradition. Number one, how much volume do you get on that game? You know, in comparison to like an isolated big college football, you know, game on a on a weeknight or even an NFL game. And then number two, what kind of money are you taking there so far? We we did have one guy. He came in a couple days ago. He bet uh, he he laid Navy minus ten for ten thousand. That's really the only 
significant bet we've seen so far on this game. But it'll be a it'll be a good handled game just because it's the only game in town. It'll be the only thing going on on Saturday. Yep. And people will force themselves to bet on the game because there's yeah. really nothing else to bet on. I mean, yeah, there's college basketball, but for the most part, the general public is still in a football state of mind until the NFL season ends. So uh, they'll find a way to bet this game, I'm sure. And, you know, the, the number, if you go back into the summer, the look-ahead number on this game was like, basically a reversal of what it is now. I think you could bet Navy close to plus 10 at some shops in the summer. Yeah. Cause army had such a good year last yeah, year. Navy was we, atrocious. Yeah. Navy had a really bad year last year. Uh, our number was lower. We kept it low cause we thought the army Navy numbers around town were a little too high. We had like six, six and a half, something like that. Uh, army minus six and a half, but certainly it's not like we were right about the game. The Navy yeah. now an 11 point favorite. Yeah, no, it's pretty, pretty wild. The, the flip That's that those two teams have done. Um, and then getting to Sunday, I know this is our college football episode, but uh, just to touch on some NFL on Sunday, the reason I wanted to bring this up is, you know, I don't think, when's the last time we've seen, potentially, it's still early, but the house really need Dallas at home, minus one, yeah. is maybe one of the biggest decisions of the weekend. Is that one of the biggest? And, uh, or, or what else are you seeing there in regards to Sunday's card so far early? Midweek. Oh, you you nailed it. We're going to need the Cowboys huge, and it's very bizarre to see the Cowboys, you know, in like in Dallas, in like that high profile America's Game of the Week scenario, and we need the Cowboys huge. Tickets are like nine to one on the Rams. You know, we actually opened this game on Sunday, Dallas minus three. That was before the the Rams uh, really impressive win on Sunday Night Football against Seattle, a game they probably dominated even more than the score indicates, but. I think the, th- the the thing to keep in mind with this game is Dallas doesn't really need to win this game. As long as they beat Philadelphia and then I think they play the Redskins week 17, as long as they win those two games, they, they win, win the division game. no matter what happens on Sunday, whereas the Rams, they have to win this game to keep their playoff hopes alive. Everybody's aware of these things, and everybody is betting the Rams like crazy. And don't think for one second that you're not going to need the Cowboys again when they make the playoffs as like a 7-9 and nine team and, and they're going to get you oh, know, yeah. into the wild card round, right? That'll be an interesting line, but I don't think they're going to be that big of a dog against Seattle. Seattle's a team that we've been saying for a while that they're really not as good as their record. They've made me look extremely bad a few times because I picked the 49ers against them on Monday Night Football. I picked the Vikings against them on Monday Night Football. But uh, I really I don't think Seattle's as good as that record indicates. So I, I don't know that they'll be a huge favorite in Dallas yeah. if, that, if that is the game we get. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's uh... – if you look back, it's I think last week was more of an indictment of Seattle, who's winning all these games by one, two, getting a bunch of turnover luck. And the Rams always play well against it. Their offense just matches up really well. So I was happy to see that this line has now come to Dallas plus one because I'm going to be on the Cowboys. Maybe I can get a little more. Um, and then the other, other game I'll ask you about is where are you on Packers-Bears? Because that's, to me, when I look at it, look, Cowboys last week, minus three in Chicago. Uh, now this week, Packers minus four and a half, five, four, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. This line's come down at home against the Bears. I think the love for the Bears has gotten a little and, – and I think the Packers have been pretty fortunate this year. But what are you, what are you seeing on that game? Because that's an intriguing line to me. First of all, you be careful betting your money on Jason Garrett now. Just be careful on Sunday. <laughs> oh, I know. But Trust me. Everybody's on Green Bay, and actually the number's moving down anyway. We moved this number down from five down to four right now. Packers minus four. All the public here is on the Packers. You know, it does seem like it's because it's, I've been anti-Green Bay all season, and it does seem like it's probably gotten a little bit too cheap, though. We are still talking about Mitchell Trubisky and Matt Nagy yes. here. Green Bay was just on cruise control last Sunday against a, just a completely hopeless Redskins team. But Green Bay probably – the value does seem like it's shifted over to that side at this point. Yeah, so you're taking bigger money on Chicago moving that down. You know what? We're just moving with the market on that one, to tell okay. you the truth. I mean, there are some games where we've taken some big bets, but that game we've mostly just been moving with the market. Anybody, any bookie you guys have on this show that tells you he doesn't move with the market is a liar. I agree. Absolutely. We do that all the time. All yep. the time. All right. Well, we'll, we'll close it up there, and uh, we'll see you out in Las Vegas for the national championship. Looking forward to catching up, and uh, thanks, as always, for your time and uh, valuable insight. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Cheers, brother. Thanks again to John for joining us. Just some great insight all around college football, NFL, just the market in general. Uh, I think a natural transition from that is to go right into the Army Navy game. That game, which all you know, all eyes will be on it. Although we do have, and you know, we're going to start doing college basketball episodes soon. A really good 
college basketball slate coming up on Saturday. But let's talk Army-Navy here. Navy's 10.5, 11-point favorite. This game is in Philly. There's going to be some rain to keep an eye on. Over-under is down to 40.5. The first thing that you have to mention talking Army-Navy is the unders. Right, 13 straight times this game has gone under the total. And that's the closing total. These things usually drop. Now, what I will say, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, about you know, option teams break models, and especially when they play each other, you have two teams that are just bleeding the clock, controlling possession. You got to throw out your yards per play because a lot of times they're just going to go three yards, three yards, three yards, take up three minutes, go for it on fourth down and get it. So the clock will be running. But listen, just because, and this is a really important point, just because a trend has worked in the past doesn't guarantee it'll work in the future, especially one that everyone now is extremely cognizant of. And that's this, you know, Army Navy under. And you saw this open at 44. It went right down immediately to 40 and a half. I actually show a little value in the over. Now it goes against everything that I know with service academies, but in this game, you have to adjust. Uh, and by game, I mean the betting game. So I'll throw it to you. What are you seeing here in regards to the side total and just overall for this game in Philly at uh, three o'clock Eastern on Saturday? Yeah, it's, I, I mean, for the side, I, I, I somebody posted, a Jersey book posted a, a Navy minus four a couple of weeks ago. I was happy to jump on that. And I know that this, you know, if Clem, they're going to post Clemson minus 21 in the ACC championship game, they're going to post Navy minus four. Listen, if it's a touchdown or so off and I put it in the app and it's like a look ahead line, hopefully that helps alert users that are in that market that have access to that number that, hey, this is incorrect and this is something we can take advantage of. As far as the current number at 10 and a half, it's spot on to what we have in a power ratings. But at the same time, this rivalry is just so close and these teams know each other so well and considering the pace of play it seems like it's a pretty outrageous number i know navy's kind of done a complete 360 this year but you're right just because you know something has happened 13 times in a row with an under doesn't mean that you know the under is absolutely guaranteed to happen again odds makers have adjusted the total you know is down to 40 and a half the 40s are starting to disappear by the way so i put in a live bet here while we're while we're recording our podcast. But for me, it was all about the over in this game. Now that I've got the side, if I was playing the side and I had to make a pick in a pick and pool, I would probably take army because this is a lot of points, especially when you consider that, you know, the power success rate for Navy is one of the worst in the nation. They're 125th in offensive power success. That measures if you can get two yards on third and fourth down. There's a lot of third and fourth downs here. And that's what Navy's rank is. I'm sorry, on the defensive side of the ball. So army who's 13th in the nation of power success is going to be able to line up and get those third and fourth down conversions all day long. So I just think the point spread is way too high. As far as the total goes, listen, in seconds per play and pace, these teams are 115th and 120th. We know that. You know, when they play against Air Force, it's usually a very low scoring game. It's just how these service academy games are going. So I'm going to go with the over here. I think you and I have talked about this, you know, previous this week. There's something with these two teams that is different than years past and it's their finishing drives their offensive finishing drives and generally these teams have a very high red zone td percentage i went through like the last 10 years of data and army and navy are always top 25 top 30 in red zone td percentage meaning they always get a touchdown when they get down to the red zone but then i started doing a deep dive into finishing drives and finishing drives is a measurement of your points per attempt past the opponent 40 yard line and this year, they rank first and 14th. Navy is first in the country in finishing drives. Army is 14th. I went back and looked at a whole number of years. I looked at 2018, 17, 16, 15. I could not find a combination of these two teams being ranked this high in finishing drives. So I think if either team is able to get past midfield, we're going to get points on the board. For me, I'm taking the over in this game. I'm not scared of the 13-year trend. I do think field position is going to be a serious issue for Army. Uh, they have one of the worst punt return efficiency ranks in the nation as to where Navy is like 18th in the nation in punting. So I think there is going to be a field position problem for Army. But, I mean, 40 is just it, – it could be any kind of defensive score. It could be, uh, you know, a Malcolm Perry uh, draws everybody in on third down and goes deep. It could be anything to get this over. Yeah, I mean, to highlight another example, there used to be a trend in the NFL that was pretty profitable years ago where you could fade West Coast teams coming east for the one o'clock kick. Well, that's no, no longer a problem for a number of reasons. The one, it's been priced into the market. 
And number two, teams have gotten smarter uh, when it comes to travel and preparation. But, you know, some of these things that become very obvious, they're not going to be obvious and inefficient in the market forever. They're eventually going to get priced out. This, I think, is one of them. I mean, if you look back historically at the over-unders in this game, you're talking, what, I think, I don't know, the last 13 years, you're probably talking 48-50 on average when Alex at 40. Mm-hmm. And it's not like these teams change drastically. They're, they're triple option offenses. So, yeah, I think that the value may have swung the other way now. And, I mean, there's a couple of factors working in, fa- you know, in favor of the under, with which is one is the weather. Um, now, wind doesn't really matter, and... You know, with with the rain, you know, it's just a rain all night on Friday in Philly, all day on Saturday. It actually could end up working in the overs favor, right? If you're, you know, you're going to be pitching the ball, depending on where these turnovers happen. It just does introduce more variance. Um, the footing might not be as good as well. But there's there's a couple other factors here with Army coming back from Hawaii, but I, not a factor to me. You know, they had two weeks before that game, and they've had two weeks before this this, this game. Kelvin Hopkins is banged up. You know, but their Army's quarterback. But I didn't see much difference with Christian Anderson running the show. Um, mm-hmm. He looked fine to me uh, against Hawaii, so I don't think it's a massive drop off if he's in there or has to come in or starts. But I will say that Army, you, know, you saw them against Michigan, and we know the triple option is the great equalizer. So they're always going to play these, you know, far superior teams closer. But they've, and then they've really disappointed since. But what a lot of people don't realize is they've been really injured. And, you know, it's the Army injury reports and news out of Army that you're not really getting. But in that game against Michigan, 12 of their starters from that game have missed at least one game. Um, so they've had extremely poor injury luck. So have been banged up all year, which is why I think, you know, they've underperformed all season. And now why I think they might have a little value. I mean, taking a triple option offense to me, a service academy, even against another service academy, when you're catching double digits is always enticing. I completely agree. The market, and especially about the part where the market is adjusted, it's not like all the totals for the previous games were set at 40. I mean, they they have set this. They know where the public is going to come in. They know where sharps are going to come in. And uh, there's no more key numbers, uh, no more key numbers to, to cross. I mean, uh, I, I would definitely want to get this uh, at 41. Uh, I would definitely want to get this at 40. I, I, I could see that it's starting to take off. I think there's going to be some over money kind of come in here before kick. Yeah. The, the other thing is, is that I, I throw out motivation in this game. If you read... That, you know, if you read that there's, hey, look, Army has won the past three games. um, And then before that, Navy won a bunch in a row. Uh, You also might read Navy has another bowl game coming up and Army doesn't. No, this is Army Navy. Uh, This is the game they want (laughs) to win. This is the most important game of the year to both teams. Um, There's no motivation going to be missing from either side. This this is the game like when when these players are 60 years old, this is the game that they will talk to their grandchildren about, not the quick lane bowl or whatever, wherever you're going. They're they're not going to talk about that. They're going to talk about the Army Navy game when they were a senior. So this is it's a big deal. Yeah. Even if you don't have any money on it or you want to just throw a couple of hours on it uh, for entertainment purposes just to enjoy it, you should. You know, these are the kids that are willing to sacrifice everything so that we can sit here on a Saturday and watch and bet on college football. So if you have some free time on Saturday, throw it on for a little bit while you're sweating uh, some college basketball with me. Just to, you know, throw out the scores lately, like even if the over-under was 40 over the last 10 years, 17 10, 14-13, 21-17, 21-17, 17-10, 34-7, there's an over, 17-13, 27 and 21 to 21, 31, 17. So back 2010, but then 17, 13, 34, nothing, 38, three. So you see a lot of these like 38, three, 34, seven. These are the games that go, you know, would have easily went under before, but getting to 41 now at this total, it gets you over. But having said that, you know, the last five or six still didn't get to 40. Right. And I mean, I know that we're going to have a full preview out on Action Network about this game. And I know I would deep into last year's box score. And, 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 you know, each there were over there were double digit drives that went into opponent territory and almost none of them, rep- you know, came out with any points whatsoever, whether it was turnover on downs, fumbles. Uh, the, the finishing drives uh, stat took a huge hit last year with these two teams, 17 to 10. And they, you know, they each crossed over into opponent territory 10 times. So it, yep. it, it, last year was a classic under. 
Yeah, and the Navy offense is so much better this year, and the Army defense is worse. I know that there's familiarity with the options, which is why another reason why these things go under. But, you know, the Army defense has taken a step back. Some of it's injuries. Some of it's the loss of coordinator Jay Bateman. Um, but Navy should have a lot more success on offense this time around. All right, yeah, like you mentioned, we'll have a preview up on ActionNetwork.com and the Action app diving into this game. All right, let's move on to a a segment I have been dying to get to for weeks. Uh, (laughs) We are bringing it back. For the last hour or two, I was digging into some FCS numbers. Uh, So let's get to FCS or no. Southland or SEC? Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FC Yes or No. Let's talk the four FCS quarterfinal games. Just to give you a lay of the land for those who haven't been following the FCS, and we'll jump into it now, um, you know, with the quarterfinals this week, then the semis, and then the championship, just for betting purposes, usually North Dakota State is head head and shoulders above everyone else. And they're probably the best team once again. You know, if you go by Sagarin ratings, I think they're top 40 in the nation. In the, the, the nation, that includes FBS teams as well. You know, in years past, they've been in the top 25. So it's not as quite as dominant of a North Dakota State team in years past, but it's really, really good. They won every game by double digits. But right on their heels is James Madison. Um, and I only have James Madison as like a couple points. And, I, you know, this is, I don't spend too much time on this, but just a couple points worse than North Dakota State. You know, so that's clearly the first tier of teams and the, the most likely final that we're going to get, which will be awesome. And then, you know, the next tier of teams, you know, maybe about 10 to 12 points worse than those two. You have Montana, Montana State and Weber State. And then after that, it's probably Northern Iowa, whose offense is just terrible. Illinois State and Austin P. Also, keep in mind favorites. You know, and this isn't a huge market. You know, the, there's the limits aren't big, but favorites historically have crushed um, since 2005. Favorites are more than three points: 69, 53, and one. It's about 57 percent. So they've done very well. Um, but let's get into these games here. The first of which is on Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Northern Iowa at James Madison in Harrisonburg. Virginia, one of my favorite schools to go party at when I was in college way back in the day. James Madison's 12 and 1 on the year. They've been so good. Their one loss came at West Virginia in Morgantown in a game they really should have won. Um, Northern Iowa, on the other hand, is 10 and 4 on the year. But if you look back at Northern Iowa, they played Iowa State in the first week of the year in Ames and lost 29 26 in triple overtime. Um, so I was in Ames and they could have went. I mean, there's a bunch of weather in that game, which there will be here as well, which I'm sure you'll talk to, Colin. But, you know, they had a chance to go for a two a couple times and didn't, which I'm still surprised by to get that win. They also went to the Fargo Dome and played at North Dakota State. Now, they lost 46-14 for reference, but that's one of the toughest places to play in the country. So the one thing I can say is they won't be afraid of the stage um, or the atmosphere, having already played games at the Fargo Dome and at Ames, and competing with Iowa State and almost winning that game. Uh, The problem is, you know, with Northern Iowa is their offense is really ugly. It's outside the top 100 in FCS in yards per game. They only average five yards per play. You know, they allow over seven seven tackles for loss per game. That's like 80th in the country. And that's going against a JMU defense that averages close over nine, which is third in the country. Um, You know, their their quarterback, the freshman, is just not very good. Um, and you know, it's just, they rely on their defense. They've held seven straight opponents to 10 points or fewer. Um, they're only one of 10 teams at the FCS level, allowing fewer than 300 yards per game. And both of these defenses are in the top five in yards per play. Um, but the JMU defense, I mean, it really should dominate this game. They have two outstanding defensive ends in, um, Rondell Carter and John Dika, and, and they should just be in the backfield all day. And then the offensive side, you know, and JMU's top, you know, you look at their stats, just like North Dakota State, they're top. Top of F- FCS and everything. They're number one with averaging 44 points per game. They're third nationally in scoring defense, third and third down defense, third in total yards, um, and lead the nation in rush defense. So it's going to be really difficult for Northern Iowa to move the ball um, in this game, you know, especially with all their injuries. There's a number of injuries to keep in mind here. They're all American tight end, Briley Moore, who hasn't played since week one. He's questionable. Their number one receiver, Isaiah Weston, he's questionable with concussion. It's tough. They're also undermanned on special teams. JMU special teams are really good. So this is a really tall order for a Northern Iowa 
uh, you know, team going up against this JMU powerhouse that's good in all three phases. I didn't even talk about their offense with Ben DiNucci at quarterback, the pit transfer. Um, they have a thousand yard receiver in Brandon Polk at a Penn State transfer, and then they're just awesome on the ground. They're at average over 250 yards per game on the ground. So it's just a really complete, good team. I can't see possibly how Northern Iowa pulls off this game. They're catching 19 and a half here over under 46, 47. What do you see? Yeah, I think you got it all because you got all my bullet points. So I'm not sure what else I can add here. Uh, But the one thing that Northern Iowa does have is that they are an excellent defense. Uh, They are in the top seven in total defense uh, along with JMU. So, you know, at least that's what they've been hanging their hat on the last few weeks. And their defense is so good that their last seven games, uh, all Northern Iowa games have been at least 45 points or less. So notice that the total here is set at 46. Uh, Juiced a little bit to the under here and probably going to move down a little bit. The S&P Plus uh, and and Sagarin ratings make this game. uh, S&P Plus makes it uh, 17.9 in James Madison's favor. Sagarin makes this minus 14.5 in James Madison's favor. But I don't really understand how you could play that side unless you think Mother Nature is going to have a huge part of the game here, which could happen. The forecast is set for 50% ice and rain. It's not going to be fluffy snow that we can run around in. It looks like it's going to be nasty. Now, there's no wind involved whatsoever, but it is going to be ice and rain, and it's supposed to be uh, a downpour. So it, it doesn't look like weather's going to be great. That could turn into a big, sloppy, muddy track, which would completely favor northern Iowa. So if you're going to back them on the side, then you probably want to get a full weather report before you go and grab them, considering Sagarin's at four and a half the 19 would probably have some value there for me i played the under Uh, i took an under 46 uh considering that both these teams are uh what i think top three in scoring defense top seven in total defense uh it's been the bread and butter for you and i and i know james madison just had like a 60 point game uh but at the same time this is a very long uh playoff run that they have to endure they have the semifinals next week and then they'll get a big break uh, before the national championship game. Uh, but I think I, I think Northern Iowa's defense can stand up here. I think we're going to get an assist from the weather. Uh, so if Sagarin can project the total at 37, taking an under 46 was good enough for me. Yeah, I mean, I make this game right around 17-ish. Um, but yeah, I don't want to bet, especially with the questions on with the offensive injuries on Northern Iowa, it's just tough to imagine them, um, you know, hanging around here. So yeah, I mean, I could easily see this game being like 28-3. Uh, 35-3 or something like that. So so I'll keep my eye on the Northern Iowa injuries, but yeah, especially with this weather. And if they have a couple guys out, I don't know how they score. All right, so let's move on to the second quarterfinal game on Friday night. And I'll let you cover the bulk of this because you were itching to talk governors. We have the Austin P. Governors, 11-3. I believe (laughs) this is their first playoff playoff appearance ever. They're 11-3 on the year. They're at Montana State, 10-3 on the year. Uh, Montana State's laying six and a half here over under 55 and a half. This game's Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern, I think on ESPN app. I mean, they should just put this game on Saturday. So the, the two at the same time is crazy. A couple things I just want to mention is that neither kicker is really reliable. They're both around 60 percent on the year. Austin P is a very, very heavily penalized team. They are not disciplined, which is one thing to just to be concerned about, especially on the road. They're averaging, I think, yeah, 87 penalty yards per game, which is bottom they're 121st out of 124 teams. They've had more penalties than every other team except Prairie View. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. Um, but you are itching to tell us why you like the governor. So I'll have at it. Well, the governors dominated the number three team in all of FCS. We're talking outside of James Madison and, and North Dakota State. Sac State, the Bees, which, you know, I've won money on the last couple of years when they've stepped up and played FBS competition. They took them to the woodshed last week. So Austin P traveled all the way from Tennessee out to California, landed in Sacramento. Sac State, out of their, their seven first half drives last week, five of them ended in a three and out. Another drive ended in a four and out. They completely dominated Sacramento State. This is the same Sacramento State team that went in and gave a huge scare to Arizona State earlier this season. So, I mean, this is legitimately one of the best offenses and defenses in the nation. And Austin P has been on such a roll lately that they just went in and shut them down completely. So this is your dark horse. This is your team that's not getting enough mention. Uh, this is an Austin P team that's two years removed from a huge FCS run. Uh, they lost their coach, Will Healy, to Charlotte. Uh, you can see how good Charlotte is doing here. So there's a pedigree here. They've done this before. Uh, some of the senior players on this team, they're, you know, it's not like they're inexperienced. Uh, I think that they've adopted a lot of things Healy was running there, and uh, it's paying off for them. And, you know, I'm not really that worried in this game 
Now, it's a different story about Illinois State. I'm not really worried in this game about travel. So you got to think about how they beat Sacramento State out in California. Then they had to get to a remote place in Tennessee on, on, on Sunday. And then this game is on a Friday night. So they got to turn around and come back out to Montana State. So it, it has been quite the miles that they're, they're getting here on a short week. And so it's not a fluke at all that they beat Sacramento State. And I absolutely think they're going to beat Montana State here. I don't understand the line at six and a half. Montana State by S&P Plus's numbers is four. And by Sagarin rating, Montana State should be minus two. So the six and a half that's out there right now doesn't make any sense to me. I took a piece of it, put it on the Action app. Uh, For those of you that are using the Action app, because we had a lot of questions about this last year, if you go up to the top left where it says all FBS, just click on that and there will be an all FCS. And there's where all your FCS lines will be. So that's a good thing, you know, for people that are using the app. But I'm going to back them here. Very balanced offense and a great defense. Well, one thing to keep in mind that you haven't mentioned, we could talk about, you want to talk about dinosaurs. We could talk about dinosaurs. So for those who have ever been to Bozeman, Montana, um, which is where Montana State is, we'll get to uh, Montana, who's on the road, but they're in Missoula, Montana, in uh, Bozeman, which has a really cool dinosaur museum with like a bunch of T-Rex skeletons there. It's, it's pretty cool. But you know what else there is about Bozeman? It's in the Rocky Mountains, elevation. Damn. Mm-hmm. Right around 5,000 feet. You know, with the short week and the travel and out in California, that is something I'm potentially watching for second half bet. Um, so if your governors are up at the half, I may be looking to get in on uh, the more well-conditioned Montana State Bobcats in the second half. And because, Which, I mean, last week, Montana State, they won, they, they rolled at home, 47-21. So they stay at home. They stay in their elevation. They're used to it. Meanwhile, you just talk, talked about Austin P and all that travel. So it could end up catching up to them late in this game. Clarksville, Tennessee, where, where Austin P is, uh, elevation of 476 feet. But uh, no, that I mean that strategy would have worked for Sacramento State because Sacramento State scored all their points uh, after the first half. So yeah, it's definitely a good strategy. All right, so that's what I'll be looking into there. Let's move on to the last game on Friday night. This is Montana at Weber State. These are two teams that are ten and three in the same conference. Weber State's a two and a half point home dog. Um, keep in mind, Weber State two of their three losses came against FBS teams. They played. At Nevada, they had like 100 total yards, but lost, barely lost. They just make games ugly. And then they played San Diego State, had 110 total yards. They lost 6 nothing, only because they had a kickoff return, called back for a touchdown. Uh, so those were two of their games. Montana also played uh, Oregon, which was one uh, of their losses. Uh, so this game will be played in Ogden, Utah. And, you know, it should be a really, really... And speaking of elevation, Ogden, Utah's up there as well, around four, 5,000. But I don't think it's much of a concern with Montana and Weber State. Montana, their offense, led by a quarterback, Dalton Sneed, he's now healthy. He was hurt midseason with an ankle injury, missed a couple games. Their quarterback play is so much better in their passing attack than Weber State's. I mean, Weber State, with Jake Constantine, he has 12 touchdowns and 10 picks on the year. He's outside of the top 70 in pass efficiency in FCS. So they don't really have much of a passing attack. These are two good special teams teams as well. But when they met, they met earlier this year in Montana and, you know, the conference was potentially on the line at the time. And Montana absolutely rolled Weber State. Now, granted, this was at home. And the weird thing with Montana this year is some of their results away from home. They've played significantly better all year at home. And that was, you know, I mean, last last month, almost a month ago to the day, Montana won 35-16 over Weber State, just to throw that out there. You know, but then the next week they went to Montana State and they lost 48-14. Then last week at home in the playoffs against Sela, Southeast Louisiana, they won 73-28. to So this offense is potent. With Dalton Sneed, they have three really good receivers. Um, they have good special teams, but the defense is really questionable. It's not uh, a solid FCS defense, and they, you know they can get absolutely just destroyed by good offenses. I'm not sure if Weber State can necessarily take advantage. I just trust their quarterback in Dalton Sneed in that offense so much more than Weber. But Weber will just find ways with their special teams, with their defense to ugly up and, and muck up games and keep them close. Do you see anything here? 
Yeah, I'm actually leaning towards Weber. I haven't made a play on it yet. I think I am. I mean, it's at plus two. I'd, I'd love to see a plus three. Not sure which way this line's going to move. SP Plus has this barely in Montana's favor. It'd be like a minus 115 on the pick. Uh, and and the Sagarin rating is Weber minus one. So it, it the number's relatively close to where the two projection systems are. Uh, and I think really the difference for me is that these are two of the best teams in the all of FCS as far as home field advantage goes. Uh, trying to play in Missoula is tough. I mean, it's one of the toughest places uh, in all of FCS to play. It's a, it's a site. Uh, and I, I wish someday I could get up there and, and watch a game because it's a great game day experience. So the one thing that we really got to pay attention to, though, like I do like Weber at home because they've been rolling people at home. So does that mean that I should take them because they're killing people at home? And beat, they beat Northern Iowa at home. They beat Sacramento State at home. They just beat 11-3 and Kennesaw State at home. Uh, and Montana, you mentioned Montana's defense is a little bit questionable. They are 85th in total defense in FCS. But quick check of the box score, because the game we like to play on this podcast is box score fraud. So if you go and you look at Montana and Weber, their first go around, which happened in Missoula, it was a complete box score fraud. Now, I know Montana got up 35 to three, but the Grizz, the Grizz scored their first four touchdowns of drives of four plays or less. I mean, it happened super fast. And there were four turnovers uh, that Weber had just given up to Montana, three of them inside their own territory. Once was an interception when they got down in the red zone on the seven-yard line. So Weber kind of handed them the game. I think if Weber has a turnover-free game, they're going to take advantage of the Montana's 85th defense. So I'm leaning with Weber here, but I'd love to see a three. You know, something to keep in mind is that with Weber State, that I mean, just Constantine was just so poor. He, I mean, he's just not—he's just not that great. But he's probably going to play a lot better at home. I mean, he had three picks and no touchdowns in that game. The backup came mm-hmm. in and threw for th- two touchdowns. So yeah, it's a tough game to figure out with the home road splits of each team. So I, I got to do a little more digging in that game. And uh, obviously, we're going to have a big FCS preview up. So make sure you check out our updated thoughts and and uh, any bets either there um, or on the Action app. All right, let's finish up with the lone game on Saturday at noon. Illinois State, who is 10-4 on the year, at North Dakota State. North Dakota State is 13-0. They are 23-point home favorites here at the Fargo Dome, over under 41. This game is Saturday at noon Eastern on ESPN. Uh, I mean, look, what else can we say about North Dakota State? I mean, they're a powerhouse. What have they won? 34, 35 straight games in a row. They've won every game by double digits this year. It's a ridiculously hard place to play. They have five turnovers on the entire year. Their quarterback, who won the Jerry Rice Award, the best player, he, he freshman Trey Lance, he has 25 passing touchdowns and no picks on the year. You know, Illinois State, their offense is ugly. They can't throw the ball, number one. So their quarterback, Brady Davis, has nine touchdowns and nine picks on the year. Nine touchdowns and nine picks. Mitch Bortles level. So they're not going to do anything through the air. North Dakota State is the best secondary in all of FCS. But what Illinois Mm. State does do is they just pound it. They absolutely pound it with their star back, James Robinson. And he's been on fire. I mean, they've played, and this is something to note, they've already played two playoff games on the road. This will be the third straight road game. Not ideal. Um, But James Robinson has carried the ball 78 times for over 500 yards in the first two playoff games. Um, So he's on fire. I was at, they were at SEMO and then uh, in Conway uh, in central mm-hmm. Arkansas. Where they didn't so, drink. Where they didn't drink. Uh, but Robinson re- went wild. But, you know, here's North Dakota State can simply just stack the box and stop him, and Brady Davis isn't going to beat him. They've played – this is the conference game. Um, these two teams are in the same conference. They've played three times before, and Robinson has averaged about 100 yards a game, which is still impressive, which is what you can probably expect him to get unless he somehow breaks a really long one. When they played – they played earlier this year in normal – on the road at Illinois State, North Dakota State won 37-3. Um, Illinois State had 200 total yards. So what Illinois State, their offense is ugly. They just hand it off a ton. They just feed Robinson. They rely on their defense, which has forced 33 turnovers. They have 50 sacks. They're also really good in the red zone. They're number one in, in the country in red zone defense, and they're, I think, top five in red zone offense. That's Robinson. But – I don't think you could slow down this North Dakota State offense in the red zone. And they don't turn it over. And they don't give up sacks. It's just a horrible matchup for Illinois State. I'm thinking of laying it here, uh, especially in the third straight road game. Um, it's just tough to see. All North Dakota State has to do is take away Robinson. Um, and, uh, this, I mean, this is the best team in FCS at home. What do you see here? 
Yeah, James Robinson, 1,800 yards on the season. He is a machine, but the problem is that's all that Illinois State has. They are one-dimensional to the max, uh, and really they're <laughs> – they, you can't – do this to North Dakota State. They're just too good to they're they're too good to to fall to some team who only has just a running game with one running back. Uh, it's easy to key on that guy and and have multiple uh, defenders ready to go. Now the number I think is is too high, but there's a reason for that. Illinois State Stuck mentioned that you know playoff game being on the road. Well, if you go back to the regular season, this is actually Illinois State's fourth straight road game. They've not had a bye week since September 28th. These players have not had a week off since September, and this is their fourth straight road game. So we can talk about how James Robinson's probably one of the best running backs in all of FCS, but the gas is coming out. It's got to be out of the tank. We got to be running on E here after, you know, beating SEMO and Central Arkansas. Now we're back on the road again uh, up to the Fargo Dome. Uh, And another thing to look at, why, I mean, the number's inflated, but North Dakota State is 30th in rush defense, not like previous seasons. So they have tailed off a little bit in rush defense being 30th, but they're third best in the nation in limiting red zone rush TDs. They've only allowed five the entire season. So I'm not sure how Illinois State, how the Redbirds are going to score their touchdowns through their main guy when the Bison have only allowed five all season on the ground. So, you know, North Dakota State had a bye on November 30th, so they're fresh. Uh, this is a game that I'm going to be staying away from because I think the number is over the projections of Sagarin at minus 22, over the S&P Plus projection at minus 16 and a half. I wouldn't mind taking an Illinois State first half because it's going to have a ton of value considering everybody's going to be on North Dakota State and the fact that Illinois State should run out of gas here and completely peter out. So, uh, you know, the road travel, the one-dimensional offense, it's going to catch up with them in the second half. I would definitely play North Dakota State in the second half, whatever the spread is, uh, and I would like to take Illinois State in the first half, but I'm going to wait and see what the number is because those numbers aren't posted yet. Fair enough. Um, Yeah, it's just – it's. Terrible spot here. And, and North Dakota State just loves to cover these games. Um, and it, it is just absolute loony bin there. It's a really tough place to play. <laughs> so the place will be rocking. Until Austin P comes in. The governors. Um, much more on FCS next week and then on the championship when we get there. But before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. First down, let's start with some confidence pool talk. And Mm -hmm. I'll let you start. Just give a little background, not on confidence pools, but just how you approach it and then where you're going. Yeah, I mean, with a confidence pool, you're going to want to back schemes, coaches, and players where you have stability and you know it's uh, something that hasn't changed because this is the time of year where there's moving parts with every single team. For instance, like Penn State losing their offensive coordinator. Say what you want about Ricky Rain. I don't know who's calling the plays for Penn State, right? So, I mean, there's that's a variable that you would want to throw out, at least when you are ranking your confidence pools, like from one up to, say, 40 or however, if you got the Celebration Bowl in there. You want as many stable constants as possible. You have to read the market. It's it, it's not as simple as saying, well, I just like this team, and they're heavily favored by 17. That's not – there's still a chance to be beat. Ask Eastern Michigan against Pitt. I mean, they're, ask Louisiana Tech against Miami. So, you know, that for me, I need a constant – stable in the players, the coaches, the schemes, everything, and and a motivation to want to be in the bowl. We'll have this written up next Tuesday, next Wednesday, so be looking out for it. But I know teams that I am going to pick, and just, instead of just saying, yeah, we're going to take Florida in this spot in the Orange Bowl, I'm going to go with some teams that are just barely favored and then one team that is actually a dog. The first one's going to be Iowa against USC. Uh, Iowa is going to be placed pretty high in my confidence pool, even though they're only a minus two. If you check out practice reports, like USC hadn't even figured out when they were going to start practice. They didn't have a practice plan. They were focusing on recruiting. He kept his job. The players have finals. I don't think they even started their first practice till yesterday. I mean, recording this on Thursday. I think they just started their first practice. Kirk Ferentz started practicing the second the game was over against Nebraska. If you dig a little bit deeper on Iowa, they have played an air raid before. They took on Mason Fine two years ago, came up to Kinnick. They had no problems beating them 31-14, to 14, shut down the air raid. Uh, and if you look at Ferentz's postgame comments, he said 
It's just like Iowa State. It, it, it's an option attack through the air. Uh, it's an you know we're familiar with the air raid because it's a version of what Iowa State runs. And by the way, Matt Campbell has not beaten Kirk Ferentz yet. Iowa is going to be way up there. They're going to be well more prepared, and they're going to have no problems with the air raid. Uh, they're going to be up there. North Carolina is on my list. Uh, like I said, I want a consistent uh, and coaches. I want a team that wants to be in the bowl, and I need a bunch of players, a really young roster, juniors and below, that are coming back next year and want to make a statement. I get all of that with North Carolina. They were dying to be in a bowl. Got Mac Brown to their first one. That that roster is loaded with underclassmen, and they're taking on a Temple team that has a coach that's never won a bowl. So there's that. All right, so the dog I'll get to, and I'll let you have at it, is Eastern Michigan. Chris Creighton is a great coach. So besides them being 11-point underdogs, I'm, I'll talk more about the pit side. Narduzzi and the players wanted nothing to do with this bowl, with this quick lane bowl whatsoever. You go back a month ago when they were healthy with French and they were actually a contender in the Coastal, they were talking about Orange Bowl. When their hopes got dashed by an Orange Bowl, it was all about Tier 1. And the ACC, if you don't know this about the ACC, they fight like cats and dogs about the, the placement of the bowls and who hopped to. So once they didn't make the Orange Bowl, they had they were told that they were probably going to get the Military Bowl. I think they were told by their AD, like, hey, we, we're going to get into the Military Bowl. And then there was an option that they'd get in the Pinstripe Bowl, so Narduzzi could take on his old boss, D'Antonio, from Michigan State. None of that happened. They ended up in the in the Quick Lane Bowl uh, the day after Christmas against Eastern Michigan. Pitt doesn't want to be there at all. So Eastern Michigan is going to be in my confidence pool. It's going to be a low number on the confidence, but it's one of the dogs that I'm taking. That was very good. It's going to be much more thorough than mine. Um, I'll just say, I mean, I don't do these like as, as a serious investment. They're more for fun. I put some time into it. But I, one of the things I like to do is put a lot of my most confident picks, unless I really love something, I'll you know, I don't care when it is, but I put a lot of my most confidence picks towards the end. So like, no matter what, like, you know, we come up on December 31st. And even if I had a slow start, I still can say, you know, when we you send out updates on the pool, if I sweep everything, yeah. I win. Right. So like, I like to stay alive for as long as possible. It's supposed to be fun and entertaining. So I could already tell you ULL, my Raging Cajuns, they'll be my most confident pick. Like, I know a lot of people have the 17 point favorites and UCF, which is fine, but ULL is the last game. It's on January 6th. They'll be my most confident pick for sure. And then, you know, I'll probably take some shots on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day with some dogs. And Florida also will be up there. I cannot see any world where Virginia beats Florida. Uh, you know, and I, I trusted Mullen to get that team ready, and, and they should just shred the Virginia secondary. But, you know, if you're looking for a couple shots, I've already talked ad nauseum about Texas. Um, who might be worth a shot, and then potentially Baylor. Um, those are games on December 31st and January 1st against teams that I don't necessarily know really want to be there, right? You have Georgia and Utah who were potentially fighting for the last playoff spot up until the last day of the regular season. Now they're not there. So those are two you know, underdogs that I'm going to have in a straight up up there confidence-wise. I like them all. I agree with them, and uh, I, I really like to punt on bigger points until you know the until closer to the end of bowl season. I don't think you should be putting a whole bunch of confidence points in the first weekend. Yeah, definitely not the celebration bowl either. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, let's move on to second down here. Uh, I'll just throw this to you. A couple of bowl totals you have your eyes on. Keep your eyes on the Wazoo Air Force uh, cheese bowl uh, The total is 67. I projected actually lower, but it doesn't matter because I went deep dive. Uh, Air Force uh, cannot take care of the air raid. And then I went deep into the interim. Look for the write-up on Action Network, but I went deep into the interim defensive coordinator uh, for Washington State, who was formerly at uh, Buffalo. Uh, and he had, was torn apart by two triple option offenses last year. Uh, Miami La Tech, look for the under there. These are Christmas, post-Christmas Day unders. Miami La Tech, uh, Miami's motivation is zero. Uh, don't expect a lot of points there. Pitt, Eastern Michigan, everything that I just talked about there, under. Remember, these players have to be in these cities during Christmas Day, and so do their families. So I, I just don't see a lot of points being scored in those events. Like it, yeah. I mean, Wazoo's what, the... Heaviest pass team in the nation, and Air Force can't stop the Easily. pass, and Air Force is the heaviest run team, and uh, Wazoo can't stop the run. So, yeah, Easily. it sets up for uh, a big time over. And then third down before we get out of here, uh, how about just one or two 
coaching or player news updates. And we'll have these, obviously, for every single specific bowl when we do those previews. But where do you want to go here? One is a fact and two are rumors that, that, are, that are being started by me. But, uh, you know, the, the fact that I have is that App State is named Sean Clark. He is confirmed as the head coach for the Mountaineers. Uh, he was around in the Satterfield days, uh, that entire administration. He was there for, for Drinkwitz, and now he has been promoted to head coach. I think that only helps uh, Appalachian State in their return to a bowl that they played in last year with an interim coach and still won and covered against Middle Tennessee. Uh, the other two, just keep your eyes on the NFL. Keep your eyes on the Cowboys coaching situation. Keep your eyes in other places because Matt Rule is long respected from all NFL general managers and owners about coming in and being a head coach someday. Their bowl game is scheduled to happen, I think, after uh, you know, right after the end of the NFL season. So keep your eyes on on the on what's going on with Matt Rule as far as Baylor and as far as him taking an NFL job. And then Napier, listen, not all of I, I know you like ULL and I like them too, but their bowl game is January 6th. There are still open vacant positions in F, on the FBS level. And these things can happen like dominoes and Billy Napier's name is going to continue to get thrown around all the time. So just keep your ears open for some of these vacant positions that are going to get filled because Billy Napier is always going to be at the top of some AD's list of, of coming in to interview for a job. Perfect. Yeah, we'll have so much more of that in all our bowl previews, upcoming podcast episodes. So thanks for joining me, Colin. Thanks again to John Murray. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back on Monday morning with a recap of the weekend. We're also going to do some NFL futures talk, so tune in for that NFL recap. By the way, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. You know the deal. Leave a review with the words Dinosaur Museum. Dinosaur Museum in there. Uh, <laughs> and I'll... I'll, if there's a couple of you, I'll put it in a uh, a raffle and we'll send you stuff. And Kyle and I are going to have a bowl contest coming. Winner maybe comes out to the national championship. Just get to Vegas. Drink for free. Hang out with us. More to come on that. So thanks for listening again, and we'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking. <laughs>